Before we begin, just uh, would like to say we're very humbled as pastors uh, to be able to serve you, and your gratitude is humbling to us as well. We are uh, well-loved, and I can speak on behalf of our families as well. We are glad to be walking alongside of you and, and serving you, So, and we covet your prayers continually, so thank you for that this morning. We're going to continue on in our series with Genesis, and this will actually wrap up that brief series as we look at Joseph's story one last time today. We're going to cover a large chunk. As we uh, begin this morning, we actually start with where his story ends. As he speaks to his brothers in Genesis chapter 50, those brothers who still fear that Joseph might have some vengeful wrath for their earlier betrayal, Joseph surmises that his entire life has been about this. It says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. And thus Joseph comforted them as he spoke kindly to them. Joseph's life and his descent to the pit and then his rise to the throne several times throughout his life, throughout his days. God intended many deaths followed by many resurrections. And all of those deaths and resurrections served for the good, for the life of others. And so, reading Joseph's story by faith, we give ourselves to God in Jesus Christ. So that through our deaths and resurrections throughout all of our days, we can trust that God will use all of these things for good and for the life of others. And we can trust this only because the true Joseph, who is Jesus Christ, has indeed risen and is indeed reigning now and gives himself that we might feast on him forevermore. So we're going to dive in to see these connections more clearly of Jesus with our Joseph this morning. To that end, will you pray with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you have given us yourself through your Son, who is the very Word of God, our living Word. As we come to your Scriptures this morning, open our eyes, soften our hearts, and unstop our ears that we might hear, that we might see, and behold Christ more clearly in them and through them, that our lives might be conformed to his image from one degree of glory to the next. We pray this all through Jesus. Amen. Okay, now throughout um, the Gospels, Jesus hides his identity time and again, and many scholars are puzzled by this. Christians and readers are puzzled by this until his ascension to the cross and, and to the throne where he's revealed in the fullness of his glory. For our Gospel reading, those on the road to Emmaus, they didn't even know they were speaking with the risen Christ who spoke to them directly. They didn't know it was him until what happened. When did they see when his eyes, their eyes were open when they broke bread with him. They could see him as prophet, priest, king. They could see him as risen. They could see him as ruler. They could see him as the giver of bread. And that's what we see today as we look at the life of Joseph. We'll be spending most of our time throughout chapters 42 and 45, but we'll start in chapter 45 if you want to look along there. The first few verses there read this way. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out for me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Verse 4, Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. They came near and he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. 
Now, believing that when they had cast Joseph into that pit earlier, when they sold him into slavery and went down to Egypt, they thought for sure that was the end of him. That would be all that they would ever see of that brother. The brothers are dismayed now as they're feasting with this ruler of Egypt who identifies himself as the one whom they killed, their brother. Joseph reveals himself. And from their perspective, the brothers, is this Joseph? If it is Joseph, is he going to reveal himself as the just enactor of, of justice, of violence against those who have wronged him? Is he going to be a deceiver, just seeking selfish gain? Or is he indeed going to be the one dreamer to rule them all, justly, graciously? Who is this Joseph that he reveals himself to be to his brothers? Well, we've got a little catching up to do to get to chapter 45, as we just jumped in here. It's the last sermon on Joseph, so we're going to cover a lot of ground. If we go back to last week's sermon, where chapter 41, as chapter 41 ends... It ends the seasons of captivity for Joseph. He was a Midianite slave for a while. He was a a slave in Potiphar's house. He was imprisoned in Egypt for years. But then each of those deaths was met with a resurrection and an ascension of Joseph till we find him finally here as Pharaoh's right-hand authority. For all intents and purposes, he was the prince and ruler of Egypt in the stead of Pharaoh. But what we haven't seen yet is that dreams of Joseph coming true. We haven't seen the 11 sheaves of wheat bowing down to his sheaf of wheat. We haven't seen the 11 stars, the sun and the moon, bow down to Joseph yet. But when we enter chapter 42, we do see the brothers, their knees begin to weaken and to bend because they're really hungry. See, the seven plump cows that Pharaoh had dreamed of, the seven full ears of grain Well, they're now being consumed, swallowed up. Pharaoh's dreams are coming true. Joseph's prophesied famine is in full effect throughout Egypt, and it bleeds into the land of Canaan, that land promised to God's people, where Jacob and his sons now live. The land is being suffocated. The land is being swallowed up. So, ten of the remaining brothers... Joseph out of the picture, 11 remain, 10 of them go down to Egypt as commanded by their father, Jacob. Only Benjamin remains back, this young Benjamin, the only other son that Rachel and Jacob had together. This is Joseph's full brother remains while the other 10 go down to Egypt. So chapter 42, if you'd like to follow along, 42 verse 8 and following reads this way. Joseph recognized his brothers when they get to Egypt, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, oh, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. We are honest men. Oh, are they? Well, Joseph must find out. Maybe they have changed. So Joseph begins to accuse them. He doesn't believe they're spies, yet he falsely accuses them. He lies about their motives. And what we'll see is that he unjustly imprisons them. They have not done anything wrong, but he imprisons them for three days. 
And then he raises them from the pit after three days. Why would he raise them? Why would he pull this, this shenanigans on them? Is it, is it vengeance? Is it seeking selfish gain? Why this charade? Well, he tells them, chapter 42, verse 14. But Joseph said to them, it is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By this you shall be tested. Right there the text tells us that Joseph is testing these brothers of his, these ten remaining brothers. So for months and months, Joseph tests his brothers. And he does the testing by deceiving them. Now, Jacob gets a lot of bad press because he deceived his father and his brother. But Joseph doesn't seem to get any bad press. Maybe we all just want to see him vindicated, don't we? Well, what's he doing? He's deceiving his brothers here. He's telling them bald-faced lies, and he's tricking them, it seems. Why? Because God's righteous servant will deceive the tyrant. That's what we've seen through Abraham's life. We've seen that with Jacob's life as he dealt with Isaac, with Esau, and with Laban. To protect the promised seed line that will crush the head of the serpent, God's righteous ruler, his covenant keeper, will deceive God's enemies, the tyrant. The brothers have been enemies of those covenant promises. They have been tyrannical against the promises of God. And so Joseph deceives them. This first trip to Egypt is opportunity for Joseph to deceive his brothers who don't recognize him as their brother. So why test them? Verse 21, here's the brothers' response as they congregate together. They said to one another, 42 verse 21, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. He's going to test them. Why? To bring about humility. Humility that fosters repentance. Joseph is testing them in, in to hopefully engender repentance. See, God's righteous ruler does not deceive for selfish gain, but to bring about repentance for the life of God's enemies and God's people. See, these brothers had lied earlier to their father. They had symbolically killed their brother Joseph. They had worked against the covenant promises of God as Joseph was foretold to be the ruler. And so Joseph deceives them in the hopes that they might repent. And we see the start here. And this is Joseph's test. Here's what Joseph goes on to do. He tells the brothers to go back, but he's going to keep Simeon here. His brother Simeon will remain imprisoned in bondage in Egypt. The others can return to their father and to their homeland with grain, but they're to come back again, and this time they have to take their younger brother, Benjamin, with them. Upon So Simeon's back in Egypt now. The nine brothers remain, uh, return, and upon reuniting with Jacob, their father, and with the family, the brothers recount the tragic events that have taken place in their departure down to Egypt. Verse 35 Here's what happened as they get back home. As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. When they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. See, Joseph had the money that they were going to pay for the grain put back in the sack. Now it looks like they've stolen grain. It looks like they've stolen from this, the ruler of Egypt. Why this test now? Why is Joseph doing this? Is he seeking to find out? What is he seeking to find out? 
Will they betray Simeon? Will they betray their brother who is in bondage once again? Will they forsake their brother for silver? Is that going to happen again? Well, two thoughts here. Why is this the case? What, why is Joseph doing this way? Well, well, look, Benjamin is the only son left uh, to Jacob and Rachel of their marriage, right? Apparently. Joseph, they assume, is dead now. If covenant rule was to go through Joseph, and he's out of the picture now, who would be the next in line? It would be Benjamin. So there is some sense in which Jacob's refusal to send Benjamin down is a protection of that promised ruler who would come to conquer the serpent, right? Secondly, though it's a test, it's also a sign. See, Joseph fulfills the role of God's covenant keeper. What's happening in this picture here is, is Jacob is blessing the people, blessing the nations, even those who have despised God. He's giving riches. He's giving grain, and the grain is the bread, a sustenance of life. So even in this test, what we see is Joseph is revealing who he is, the protector of the seed line and the giver of bread, risen from the pit, from the grave. He reigns now over all the known world for all intents and purposes. Do we have eyes to see that he is the giver of bread, the bread of life for the world? See, Joseph, risen and now reigns, he gives bread for the life of the world. That is who Joseph is, and the brothers are coming to see that. It, of course, makes Joseph a forerunner of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the giver of not only grain, he is the giver of bread. He is the bread of life. He is the sustenance of life in his body and in his grace so the brothers are back with Jacob Jacob still refuses to send Benjamin down the famine continues stomachs are empty desperation sets in Jacob relents and he promises to go ahead and send his brothers back down to Egypt back down to this ruler and to their brother Simeon this time he allows Benjamin to go with. Now, what I won't recount for you here by reading it is that in the midst of this discussion and dialogue between Jacob and his sons, his, his uh, son Judah steps forward and he says, you must send Benjamin with us. Here is the situation. If something should happen to Benjamin, know that my two children, my two sons are no longer mine. I will give you my sons in Benjamin's stead. The brothers are playing the part here of the penitent. Judah is playing the role of a substitute. Should something happen to Benjamin, he will step in. Upon return to Egypt, now Joseph tests again. He gives them a feast in chapter 43, and they're feasting together. Right? As, as every good family gathering has conflict, that's what's happening here. Family problems are worked out at the Thanksgiving table. And this is another situation uh, chapter 43 now, down to verse 33 and 34. And they, the brothers, sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. So Joseph had put them in order of birth, and they're looking around like, wow, this is crazy. We're all sitting according to our ages here. Okay, portions were taken uh, to them from Joseph's table. Where is it coming from? It's coming from the ruler. The king is giving him his, from his own table. But Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry 
with him. There you go. Joseph's following in Jacob's footsteps to give his favorite brother more food. What's going on in this situation here? What is Joseph doing? Benjamin is treated royally. He's given five times the amount of food. Here's the situation. Joseph is, or Benjamin here, Benjamin is pictured at this feast as another Joseph. The one who's favored by the ruler, the governor of the house. This brother is given wealth and overabundance. He's placed in positions of authority there. How will these brothers now treat Benjamin, who is another Joseph? Will they treat him the same way they treated Joseph? Will they pass the test? So Joseph, again, step back. Joseph is revealed to us as risen from the pit, now to rule over all, and he is the giver of bread. This is who Joseph is in this text, okay, in the story. Risen, ruler, giver of bread. And this, show, this text shows him to be a giver of rest. At the very last line, it says, they drank and were merry with him. You know where that phrase comes, drank and were merry again? It comes from Noah's account. After the new creation, in his vineyard, he's enjoying the fruits of his vine, and he's at rest, drank, and he was merry. Noah is the giver of rest. And here the text is showing us, at table with this Joseph, the brothers are at rest. Joseph is the giver of of rest. But true rest for the brothers is not found in forgetting the past nor repaying their wrongs. Rest comes only through repentance. This is often true for us as well. When we lack rest, like emotional rest, it's often things that are going on in relationships around us. Where do we lack rest? In relationship with God and with those around us. Genesis 44 goes on here with Joseph devising one last test to see how his brothers will treat Benjamin, the new Joseph. So on to 44, the first two verses. Then Joseph commanded the steward of the house, fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. And put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told them. Joseph is doing the same old trick. Going to go back home, brothers, with all of that grain. And he's putting the money back in there. But he does something else. He puts a silver cup into Benjamin's sack. Joseph feigns release for his brother, brothers to go back home with their sought-after grain. En route to their father and to their homeland, the brothers stop. And then the servants of Joseph catch them and they say, hey, show us what's in your sack of grain. So the brothers invite the inspection, and they're surprised, shocked. Once again, they find all of the silver that they would have paid is now back in the sack. And the servant of Joseph says, look, somebody stole the silver cup as well, the silver cup of our ruler. And the brothers invite this inspection. Uh, and, And in that invitation, they say, Whichever of, our, of your servants is found with the cup shall die, and we also shall be your Lord's servant. When the stolen coin is found in the sacks and the silver chalice is found in Benjamin's, the brothers of the text says, tear their clothes, and every man returns to the city, to the one whom they betrayed earlier. But while they're still enemies, Joseph dies for their sins. See, the tables have turned here. Evil, it seems, is intended for the brothers now. And in the way that they stripped Joseph of his robes, what are they doing now? They're stripping their own robes, a symbol that God is working good in them, that the brothers are humbling themselves, stripping their own authority to come under the authority of Joseph. And then chapter 44, verse 14, 
When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him on the ground. Verse 16. I can find verse 16. And Judah said, What shall we say, my Lord? What shall we speak? How can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. The dreams have come true. The dreams foretold. The brothers now bow before Joseph. They then confess their sins before Joseph. They acknowledge God's justice will be done on them. Though they are innocent of this crime, they are not an innocent people. So just Joseph tests them just one more time. And we're all like, enough, Joseph. One more test. He frees them all, except Benjamin. Judah prays, as it were. Joseph says, I'm going to send you all back, but I'm going to keep Benjamin here in Egypt with me. But you go return to your father. Judah prays, as it were. He recounts their life story before this ruler. And his concluding prayer can be found in 44, verse 33. Judah speaks, Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would, that would find my father. The very evil that the brothers had brought down upon Joseph, that they had brought down on themselves, and even upon their father, that evil is taken up by Judah. See, the road of ascension is through descent. The pit always comes before the throne. Death always comes before the resurrection, as it was with Joseph. So it must be for his brothers, as it is for Jesus. So it must be for us, his brothers and sisters. Judah gives himself in the stead of his brother. Sacrificial love to spare his brother. Put through the most painful trial, Judah has passed the test. In innocence, he prays to his kingly authority, basically saying, not my will be done, but yours be done. And generations later, an offspring of Judah would pray that same prayer in a garden, and he would give himself for the life of the world. And at this point, Joseph reveals himself. Chapter 45, verse 1. Joseph could not control himself before all who had stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out for me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. See, the dead has risen. The bullied brother is now prince king. The brothers in Joseph's presence are dismayed. But as Joseph reveals himself, he reveals God's grace as well. Look at verse 4. Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Now, how many of you honestly were like, Joseph, you missed an opportunity? I told you so, right? <laughs> Vengeance could be his in their sin, in their guilt, in their shame. They're bowing before this ruler. And Joseph calls them near. I love the image. 
Well, they're scared to death. They see this is their brother Joseph who has all authority in the world. It's relatable, isn't it? So often, the people that we've offended, the people that we wrong, are the very persons whom we must draw near to. <laughs> we must face them, face to face, where we confess our faults, where we confess our failures, when it's really the very last person that we want to get to touch with, right? We don't want to be face to face with them. That's how it is when we sin against our God. It's difficult. It's so easy to minimize our faults and failures, to try and hide from our guilt, to try and displace our wrongdoings and blame others. So it is in Christian community. The very people that we need to face, to draw near to, are the very least likely that we would want to see. So as we read the book Life Together in Small Groups, it's convicting. We see ourselves. We see our communities. And we fall short. And yet here's where the grace of God comes in. See, hindsight is always 20-20, right? Joseph could look back and piece all these things together. But, but his, his statements can only be made through the eyes of faith. See, decades earlier, Israel's son's Joseph's brothers had betrayed, they had lied, they had in effect murdered Joseph. And yet what does Joseph claim here? He says, God sent me before you to preserve life. You hear that? Who did all this to Joseph? God sent me before you. That's not hindsight, that's faith. There's a double witness to this as well. I read it earlier from Genesis 50 where following Jacob's death, Joseph reiterates to his brothers, you intended evil for me, but God intended good, that people should find life. So we look now with eyes of faith at Joseph's life to find the gospel of Jesus Christ hidden in the gospel of Joseph. If we read verse 11 and following, he says this to his brothers as he invites them to stay in the land of, of Egypt. He says, there I will provide for you. For there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is, in, it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck, and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with them in their guilt and in their shame. The ruler of the world here who calls them brother, the one whom they betrayed, the one whom they beat and killed, he is alive, he is risen. And when their eyes are opened, at first they are speechless, they are dismayed with fear, for just retribution is at hand, they are sure. But they are met instead with mercy, they are surprised by grace, they are saturated with love. They weep Tears of sorrow, which are mingled with joy as they weep with their king, with their brother, and he with them. And they talk. They share life together, the life of God in restored community of God's chosen people to share the bread of life with the world. And as they return, the brothers return home. We read this at the end of 45, verse 25. So they went up to Egypt, came to the land of Canaan, to their father Jacob, and they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe the words. And when, and when, uh, but when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is alive. I will go and see him before 
I die. Were you there? Were there a time I could, I could, we could see the life of Joseph fulfilling all the promises of Genesis? As we come to the end of Genesis, Joseph's life is fulfilling all of the things that were happening in Genesis. He is the one with patient faith who receives and doesn't grasp after the fruit like Adam and Eve. He is the one who restored relationships with the brothers who slew him, undoing Cain's heinous sin. Joseph is the bringer of rest who is a better Noah, bringing about a new creation. He fulfills Abraham's role of becoming a great people in order to bless the nations. Joseph protects the seed line in Benjamin and then in Judah and the rest where Isaac earlier had failed. He loved and served his father Jacob through the greatest trials and sufferings where his brothers failed. Joseph, his name means may he add. He adds to these lives, these relationships, God's grace. Joseph's story. It's the good news of God's grace. We read the gospel of Joseph because in his life is hidden the life of our true and better Joseph, who is Jesus Christ. When Joseph's story is read, Jesus is revealed. See, Jesus is God's favorite, God's only son, who was betrayed by his brothers, those he came to save, to the promised land and the whole known world. So Jesus is the prophet, the priest, and the king in the same way that Joseph was raised to be prophet, priest, and king. Evil was intended him, and yet God meant it all for good, that many would find life in him. So that Jesus as prophet, priest, and king, he is the one who was crucified. He is the one who descended into the pit, and he is the one who was raised again. He lives now, ascended to the heavenly throne, to reign over all for all eternity. Not only does Joseph's life fulfill all of Genesis, he's the precursor, the pointer to the true and better Joseph, who is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is revealed to us this day through his word, through his gathered people. And he invites us, like Joseph, to draw near to him. For he has given his life that we might have life in him. And he weeps with us. He rejoices with us, for he is our risen king. He is our reigning brother, giving bread for sustenance, his wine blood for rest and for joy. He has given himself for life to the full, for the life of the world. May his name be praised now and forevermore. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you have given us yourself. And now we give ourselves to you, O Lord, that we might be used to bless your world, which you have created. Thank you for Joseph, that he bears witness to Jesus Christ. May we now be formed into his image from one degree of glory to the next. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.